Welcome to Cross Communities Podcast. We're glad you're here to listen today. We hope that today's message will strengthen your faith and help you to love God and people more. Well, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to encourage you to open them to the Gospel of Matthew. No, not Ecclesiastes anymore. The Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 4. While you're getting there, I want to let you know about the next series that is coming up. We're going to kind of preview it today, but it's going to be for the next Sundays from, from here, from Easter Sunday, all the way through till Pentecost. And that is going to be called simply the Gospel Series. And we're going to be asking, what is the Gospel? And when we ask that, we think we know. But I want us to to take some time to really sit with this question. What is the gospel? Not just what does the gospel do for me, but what is the gospel? And to understand what the gospel is, we need to have a basic grasp on the story of God and Israel. What we call the Hebrew Scriptures or the Old Testament. And how that flows or culminates in the story of Jesus, which is found in our Gospel stories. The Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And how all of this comes together to be the Gospel, the good news for us. And what comes out of what is the Gospel. And so during Easter and all the way through till Pentecost Sunday, we'll be doing a few things to help you get a good understanding of the story of God with Israel that culminates in the story of Jesus. And so if you are not connected with us, we want to encourage you to send your information into the church because starting tomorrow, we will be sending out a link for a Bible project video. Now, these videos are important. They will uh, give us a good, broad understanding. It's not narrow. It's not sermon. It's trying to give you a large perspective of the Old Testament story in through the Gospels. And you'll get one of those per day. They're about five to ten minutes long and very kid-friendly. I started watching with my kid when he was nine years old, and he still enjoys them today. Along with that, we will email you a few questions to ask yourself to pray about and to journal in for the next 50 days. It's going to be an exciting time. I could see families gathering right after dinner and uh, watching the video and then asking the questions and spending some time journaling together. So you're going to want to be a part of this. We need to get your information in order to email that out to you. Uh, So check our website on how you can do that. But okay, you're in our passage You have already heard Pastor Kyle read our gospel passage of Matthew 28, uh, 1 through 10. We're starting earlier in the story, and we will end where Pastor Kyle left off. And so uh, let's go ahead, and wherever you are, would you stand in reference for the gospel being read today? Hear the word of the Lord, the gospel according to Matthew Chapter 4, verses 12 through 22. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, 
which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat and their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. This is the word of God for the people of God. And our response is, thanks be to God. Well, we love new beginnings, don't we? I mean, I I don't know about you, I love books, and so there's nothing like holding a new book in your hands. In fact, I just got a couple of new books that came in the mail, and I I know you're probably not supposed to do this, but, you know, it's just so nice, that new book smell, and to open it up, and to look, and to read that introduction, those first few paragraphs, to get into a story, or get into something that you're trying to learn. I love that type of new beginning. New seasons, like like springtime. I mean, we just love when the warm air starts to come and the flowers begin to, to push up through the soil. In fact, in Michigan, we love it so much, we do spring like three different times. I think we're in spring number one or two right now. We'll have some more snow and then more spring because we just love new beginnings. And we love new movie series. One that I was really excited about a few years ago was The Force Awakens, when they were going to kind of come back to the Star Wars story that we were all familiar with. And it was so fun to watch these new characters take the story and see similar themes uh, unravel and unroll throughout that whole film. And uh, it was it was just a fun, fun time. We love new beginnings. Well, Matthew has a new beginning type of pattern. I'm calling it the gospel pattern. And so I wanted us to look at that. We're going to see it play out through the book. But our first passage that I have read really kind of keeps us and gets us into this pattern. So let's let's look at this pattern, shall we? Um, The pattern begins unfortunately, with tragedy. And we see that John the Baptist is imprisoned. This was Jesus' cousin who had just baptized him before he had gone out into the wilderness to be tempted. And he was thrown in prison. So there's a bit of tragedy. And that leads Jesus to leave Nazareth and to move his operations. He leaves all that is familiar. You see that in verse 13. He leaves Nazareth where he had he had lived from, from the time when he was a little child. He had built relationships there. I'm sure his family was there. His dad was probably the, the local carpenter. And he decides he's going to move. He's going to leave all that's familiar, which is something you just didn't do 
in his day and age. You were supposed to take on the family trade. And, and he was the oldest son, so if anything happened to dad, he was supposed to be the one to take care of mom and brothers and sisters and whoever was a part of his family. But Jesus, here's the tragedy, leaves all that he holds familiar and moves out. But he goes to the least likely place and the least likely people. We see that he moves to Capernaum, which was the by the lake, by the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. And we are told from the prophet that it's way out. Like it's the furthest place you could go from the center of power. He's out in the fishing villages. In fact, just a little ways from where Jesus is, you move off into the non-Jewish world. But that's where he goes. He moves to the least likely place and the least likely people. And from there, he begins to preach. And his message, as we see in verse 17, is repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So we need to examine this message because it's really going to be the launching point for the rest of this gospel pattern that Jesus is showing us in Matthew's gospel. The first word of the sermon is repent, and we're going to leave that to the very end. Uh, I'll, I'll let you know about that here in just a second. I want us to key in on the phrase kingdom of heaven. Now, when we think of kingdoms, we think of borders and we think of boundaries. But really, whenever you see in the Bible the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, what they are talking about is not borders and boundaries, but they're thinking about the dynamic ruling activity of God. It is active. It is moving. It is also indicative of God's presence being there. So it is God's ruling activity and presence there. And Jesus says that this kingdom of heaven, this presence of God that is active and dynamic and ruling has come near. Now, that's that's the word that we need to, to build on and we need a little more explanation. So if you've been with us very long, you know that I like to teach Greek words here and there. And the Greek word for come near is the word angikin. I know you want to say that with me so that you can learn it, too. Uh, it's the word angikin. So ready? One, two, three. Angikin. Let's say it one more time. You can write it down. Ready? One, two, three. Angikin. And it does translate, it does mean to bring near. But if you were to look at this in your Greek dictionary, you would see that there is a purpose in the nearness. It is to bring near, but it is to bring near for the purpose of joining one thing to another. It is not just coming to stand by someone, but it is to come stand by someone in order to connect with them, in order to do the thing we're not supposed to do right now. Not social distance, but to connect, to join together. And Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven has angakin. It has moved near for the purpose of joining one thing to another, from joining the kingdom of heaven to earth from joining God's active presence to our everyday lives. And this joining of the kingdom of heaven is joining with the, in the least likely place with the least likely people. You see, they were, they were very comfortable with the idea of the kingdom of heaven 
coming and being uh, with the, with earth. But that was supposed to happen in the temple in Jerusalem. It was high up. It was a beautiful place. They had all the symbols of the story of Israel on the walls in the temple. And this was the place where the presence of God was supposed to come. And so Jesus is saying, no, this kingdom has Engekin. It has come here into the very least likely place among the least likely people. It has come right here into your life. And the interesting thing about come near is the tense. I know you weren't expecting a Greek lesson on Easter, but here we go. It is in the perfect tense. This is one we don't have in English. And the perfect tense carries two ideas. One is that it is a completed action. It is something that has already happened in the past, but it has continuing results for right now. Those results roll on from that past action all the way into this present time. And so Jesus was saying that the kingdom of heaven, Engekin, has come near for the purpose of joining heaven, God's active presence here on earth. And that did take place in Jesus Himself, who was fully God and fully man. And now those results are coming forward as Jesus is marching into their everyday lives to the least likely place among the least likely people and saying, the kingdom of heaven has come near for the purpose of joining with you in the least likely of places. This is this is powerful. This is incredible. And this will take repentance. You see, that word for repentance is the word metanoia, and it means it will take a complete mind change. If if you think that the that the kingdom of heaven can only be in the temple in Jerusalem when you're out on the margins of Judaism and you're just a lowly fisherman or you're just a poor person way out here. For you to understand, no, God is concerned about you and the kingdom of heaven has come near for the purpose of joining your life. That's going to take a mindset change. And it's probably something that has to be done in you and for you. It is also going to require an incredible 180 degree turn. Because you are looking at life this way. And this behind you seems so strange, but you have to repent. You'll have to metanoia to change and look and observe and allow your mindset to be changed. That the kingdom of heaven could come to the least likely place among the least likely people to connect with your life. That requires drastic change and repentance. So let's pause and let's look at this gospel pattern. So we move from tragedy to leaving the familiar to going to the least likely place and the least likely people to preach or herald a message about the kingdom of heaven. And then for the rest of Matthew's gospel, we, we see all of these actions that Jesus does. He heals people who are sick. He restores people's bodies that are mangled or crippled or broken. He 
feeds people with uh, thousands of people with just a few loaves and some fish. All of these actions back up the message or validate the message that the kingdom of heaven has moved into the neighborhood. The kingdom of heaven has come near for the purpose of joining in the least likely place with the least likely people. But before those actions meet, he decides, we've got to keep this going. I've got to teach others this pattern. And so he calls disciples. And disciples weren't just students who you know, wrote down on pad and paper what Jesus said. No, a disciple was someone who was called in order for their life to model the teacher's life. And so Jesus calls some to be his disciples. Calls them to watch and observe how he lives his life. Calls him to watch and hear the kingdom of God is at hand. It's come near for the purpose of joining with you. And then he wants to send them out. He invites them into this same pattern. Now they are to leave what is familiar. We see that in verses 18 through 22. How appropriate that for Peter and Andrew, they were to leave nets, those things that can entangle us. They're to leave the familiar behind and come and follow Jesus. And James and John do the same thing. They leave their father and they, they leave the boat and they follow Jesus. They leave what's familiar. And then after much training, we get to John, or we get to Matthew chapter 10 verse 5 and we see that they are sent out. So they have been called. They have left what's familiar and now they are going to go out. And what are they going to do? What's the message they're going to preach? They are going to preach to the least likely. Chapter 10 verse 5 tells us that they are sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And most scholars that I read believe that those, those lost sheep of Israel were the poor and the outcast. Those who would not have believed that God was with them. That God was interested in their life. That the kingdom of heaven was wanting to come near to them and connect in their life. This is who these disciples are sent to. And they are called to preach the same message. The kingdom of God has come near. And then Jesus tells them in, verse, in chapter 10, verse 7, to go out and do some of those same actions that will validate the message that I have given to you. And so they're called to heal. They're called to forgive. They're called to feed and to help. We begin to see this pattern going over and over and over again. But then, it appears that the old narrative rears its ugly head and begins to take control of the story. It appears that the old narrative will win, where God will once again be locked into a temple where power will be the one that rules, and that violence will reinforce power's ability to rule. And power will determine, and the religious authorities will determine who God loves and who God blesses. Just a few days ago, we remembered how the powerful religious and political elites took the pen out of the hands of the author of New Beginnings and nailed those hands to a cross. 
the feet that brought the good news of the kingdom of heaven to the least likely place and to the least likely people were nailed solidly to the place of power in Jerusalem as they said, we will determine who's in and who's out. The heart that pumped the very lifeblood of God was pierced through with a spear. And the body that had proved that the kingdom of heaven had joined earth was locked away in a sealed tomb. Have you been there? Where it feels like the new beginning of your story has moved in to what is now a tragedy. Where all hope seems locked away like a fantasy of long ago. Maybe for you, it was... It was a marriage or a relationship that started out so loving. I mean, we were just so into each other and, and we just knew we could face the world together and, and we started off and everything was great. We couldn't wait to be together. We had to go to our jobs, but man, the nights were so wonderful as we ate together and shared life together. And it just seems like over time. Things have whittled down and now I barely know the person that I share this home with. And and it just seems like everything is torn apart and maybe actions have happened and words have been said. And it just seems like it's not a new beginning anymore. Maybe it was with your family or your kids and when they put that bundle of joy in your arms, you, you had all these thoughts of all the things you were going to do for that kid and you wanted that kid to know how much you loved him or her and, and you were going to give your world to them and, and you were always going to be around and you were going to make sure you were there for dinners. And it just seems like everything has picked away at that and, and maybe the kids have rejected you and gone off God knows where. And it seems like your new beginning was crushed and been thrown in a locked tomb. Maybe it was that new job that you thought, hey, this is really going to bring me life. I'm so excited. I'm finally doing the thing that I want to do. And now you say it's killing my soul. Or this virus shut down everything that you invested your life in. And you're wondering where your new beginning is. Maybe it was in recovery you finally admitted that you had a problem with a substance or, or a pattern of behavior. And, and you really started and you read the books and you went to the meetings and you did everything. But then you tripped up and you failed and you wonder where am I going to go from here? Maybe it's your very faith journey that you used to be on fire for God. And you heard His voice and you loved the worship services and you, you read and you prayed and now things have gone cold. Maybe it's just life. Or you had a lot of hope when you were younger, but as you've matured and continued, the world just seems to beat you down over and over and over again. Like Jesus, does it appear like your story has ended? Well, I have good news for you this morning, my friend. The good news had not ended 
on Good Friday. But the gospel pattern began even then to repeat. It begins, of course, with the tragedy of Jesus' death. But then he leaves what is familiar, which was his breathing, walking around life. And he goes to the least likely place and the least likely people. The creeds tell us that he descended into hell. And First Peter chapter 3, verse 19 tells us that he went to the place of the dead to proclaim to the least likely the spirits of those trapped there in prison. And he begins to preach to them. We're not told what he preached, but my hunch is it went something like this. Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near to join. And then he moves to actions as God raises him from the dead and proves that his message was true just as the scriptures tell us and as the eternal new beginning breaks forth on Easter Sunday the earth shakes at its core as the kingdom of heaven links permanently to earth and the stone of tragic ending becomes the resting place of heaven's heralds the author of new beginnings then still continues the gospel pattern he calls the least likely people These women who just happened to be at the tomb weeping to go to the lost sheep who are now the disciples who have abandoned him to proclaim to them good news. He is not dead and he will meet them in the least likely place, Galilee. And this time he will send them out to the least likely place, which is everywhere to make followers of the way for new beginnings with new disciples. You will baptize them, which is the sacrament of new beginnings. And the author of new beginnings will be with us always. That's good news. That's worth preaching about. So do you need a new beginning today? Easter reminds us that the gospel pattern is still taking place. It is still repeating. Will you let the author of new beginnings bring the gospel pattern to you, to your life, to your marriage, to your family, to your recovery, to your spiritual journey, to your sin? Will you repent? Because it will take repentance. A complete change of mind that God's space is here now with the purpose of joining to your life and can bring newness of life even to the least likely, yes, even to you, my friend. It will take repentance. A turning from thinking I know what is best to trusting God's wisdom to write a new beginning for my life or for my marriage. It will take repentance. A turning from my way or the highway to God's way is the only way for a new beginning to take place. It will take repentance, a turning from despair in life to letting God repair the story and begin new life for me. Are you ready for a new beginning? That's what Easter is all about, my friends. You may be sitting there right now next to the person, your spouse or your kid, who God has moved in right where you are and said, we need a new beginning here. And if your heart is pounding, 
and you don't know what to do, I'm going to encourage you, if you are not sitting next to the person you need a new beginning with in your home, go to them right now. Take their hand and sit next to them. Say to them, I want a new beginning. I don't know what it will look like, but I want to trust God for a new beginning. There may be other areas that you can't go right now, but if you're sensing that God is wanting to do something, it may be a quickened heartbeat or a a racing breath or your mind racing. Trust me, my friend, that is God wanting to join His kingdom, His active presence with your real life. You have only to open your life to His new beginning. And you can do that right now as we pray. Would you bow your heads where you are? And I'm going to pray right here where I am. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful We're so grateful that you brought new beginning possibilities into our life and into our world. I pray right now that you would help my brothers and sisters who could literally be anywhere in the world to say yes to your new beginning. For some of them, it means physically moving right now in their own living room to look their kid or their spouse in the eyes. For some, it will be simply sitting in quiet and saying these words, you in your home, you say this after me, God, I want a new beginning. Jesus Come and begin to write the story fresh and new. Help me to trust you. Change my heart. Change my mind. Take my sin. And help me to see you in every moment. Father, I pray for those who have just prayed that prayer, that You would help them, that they would know You are with them now, and help them to take the steps that You know will cause a new beginning to happen in their lives. Bless them and keep them. And we will continue celebrating today that You are alive and resurrected, and that new beginnings are possible every moment So thank you, Lord Jesus, and may all praise and honor and glory go to you, our living hope. For we pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, me here and you there, amen. I want to bless you as you go this Easter. And now, may the author of New Beginnings... Proclaim to you that the kingdom of heaven has come near for the purpose of joining God's space and presence to your life right where you are. I pray that you will sense 
a new beginning on the horizon. I pray that you will sense hope beginning to dawn. And I pray that you will say yes to what Jesus calls you to today. And I pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Wash your hands. Have a great Easter celebration. Go in His name. Go in peace. Go in a new beginning. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to Cross Communities Podcast. We hope you will join us next week.